This is Valor Radio. Valor, strength of mind and spirit that enables a person to face danger with resolve and determination in battle or in any other situation. Valor, like that displayed by veterans of every branch of the military throughout our community. This radio show, Valor Radio, salutes all of you who have raised your right hands to volunteer to protect and preserve our unique American way of life. Thanks for joining us and your brothers and sisters in uniform. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front lines, sleep in peace tonight, American soldiers. Now, Valor Radio. Well, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, coasties, guardians, and the civilians serving by their side, we welcome you to another edition of Valor Radio. Colonel Paul Simonelli is under the weather, and we have Captain Steve Amano uh, in uh, in the studio here. Good to he's, be here. He's, he's, he's doing the heavy lifting here with us. Thank you very much for making it down today. Absolutely. Captain, appreciate mm-hmm. that. Anytime. So, uh, where are we going here today? Usually, I mean, it's well, kind of like, where do you start? It's right? like, but there's so much going on right now. So, and there's a lot going on politically, a lot going on uh, militarily, uh, and culturally. And um, I wanted to start out with a little culture stuff uh, because sure. everybody's going gaga over Oppenheimer. If you noticed, if you haven't noticed lately. By the way, my uh, chief engineer, who comes from the Philadelphia area, said, uh, "Would you like? Are you interested in seeing Oppenheimer in the seventy millimeter?" Uh, you know, HD version of the film, uh, the IMAX version, 70 mm-hmm. millimeter, huge, huge screen, huge film oh, format. And I said, yeah, I, I, there's an IMAX theater out in Gates, uh, Tinseltown. I'm going to try to see it there. He says, nope. I said, well, why? <laughs> why can't I see it? He said, because there's only about 12 theaters in the country that are equipped to show this film. The closest one is King of Prussia, Pennsylvania in the mall. What? Yeah. Wow. To, to see the, the 70 millimeter giant uh, print of this thing. 70 millimeter giant print. I want, it must be really magnificent. Yeah, well, it's got the curved screen and everything. Oh, it does. And the, yeah, the, uh, the film motion in 70 millimeter IMAX is the film moves horizontally. The frames go. Now, you're a little older than me, but um, I'm wondering have you ever seen a movie in Cinerama? I saw one, yeah, back in the 50s. Did you? Yeah. As See, I always wish I had seen one of those. It's a weird thing because the the film is trisected into three sections, right? And I, the, as I recall, I think there's three projectors that run interlocked to give you this. Ex- Can you, you know, imagine what a cluster that must have been? Oh yeah, I mean, uh, a, a pain in the in the rear end. Very Not expensive that. to exhibit, I'm sure. sure. Uh, but the, you hear the peripheral vision is kind of interesting. I think IMAX does a, as good a job. If I'm remembering right, like when they try them, when they they put them on TCM, uh, Cinerama movies like that. The one that mostly I see is How the West Was Won, uh-huh. and it looks great. But it's 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 got that distortion that that curve right. thing because it's meant to be projected right. enough, and, and that all the lines are gone. It's beautiful. I mean, I, I love that movie. You know, a lot of people are not aware of this, but back in the early 1930s, there was a film format called Grandeur that was uh, it was marketed by MGM, and it was a 70 millimeter format. What? And I, yeah, oh yeah, and I remember uh, going to um, going huh. going to the gym in Caledonia, 
And I'm hopping on the treadmill, and they have the big TV up there, and so I'm watching. They had TCM on, and they're showing this. It's obviously like a a black and white old film from you know the early sound era, mm-hmm. but it's letterboxed. The thing has got this really wide screen, and and John, that's weird. John Wayne's in it. It's the big trail, and it was oh my god! It was shot in. I think there's only two films that have survived in grandeur format. And this one was one of them, and it was the weirdest. You, you, you thing. don't remember the other one, do you? I'd, I'd, I'd have to look it up. I'd, okay, yeah, I, this phenomenal. I'd, I'd love to see it. It's got a letterbox. The whole it's, it's the all whole letterbox. The thing looks. It think it looks like it. It should have been. It, it's kind of like you're driving through uh, the can of worms, and you look over, and there on the inside lane, there's a steam locomotive. I mean, you know, <laughs> like it's like completely incongruous because it's obviously wow. like a really old film. Yeah. John Wayne is like a kid i was gonna say the big trail is pretty old yeah, yeah. 1930 yeah, and the wow. thing was shot in grandeur it looked great i mean uh, big trail by the way was very interesting because that was the first hollywood film uh that uh, that used actual native americans in in those Did roles it. as opposed to you know like some some guy from the bronx is right yeah isn't that cool was it uh it wasn't a john ford movie was it I wonder who who did it. I'm I'm dying to know who the Didn't director see the was titles. for that. Because uh, I mean, John Ford liked using in, uh, real Indians in, uh-huh. in his films too. So I don't know. Inter- interesting. I I got to see that movie now. Yeah, especially in that format. The Big Trail. Okay. Well, um, you know, I I I love uh, World War II era movies. So you know, when I heard Oppenheimer was going to be made, I thought I, I thought two things. Well, great, we'll get to see another uh, movie about that subject, which is pretty cool. But my trepidation is, you know, in in the modern era, when they make a movie like that about such a touchy subject, uh, like yeah. they, it, something's Pol- going to happen. Politics, of course, gets You're right. Yeah, and I wanted to know who's playing Oppenheimer. Well, I've never heard of Cillian Murphy. Never heard. That's the guy's name, Cillian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I don't know who Emily Blunt is. I know who Matt Damon is. Well, Emily Blunt is very well known. She's uh, she's the wife of uh, of uh, John Krasinski from. Uh, the office. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and, and she, oh, and really? They, they, that as a couple, they um, huh. uh, they produced all the the Quiet Place films. I mm. think the, the, the it's a franchise. Cool. Well, she's very attractive, and uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh is in the movie. Okay, and he was in um, Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of things, I, and Robert Downey Jr., who plays somebody named Strauss. I, I you know, some of these characters I'm I'm, I'm not familiar with. Uh, directed by Christopher Nolan, who is the director of uh, Dunkirk. Uh, and he's got a lot of press, and he's got a lot of uh, positive reviews. I mean, everything I've seen so far is rave reviews about this movie. Some of them calling it the best movie, uh, you know, made in the last uh, 50 years. And, I mean, some of it's – and I'm getting a lot of feedback from people on the right saying it's a wonderful f- film. I want to see it. but And I do want to see it. But um, Having lived close to Oak Ridge for five years, I'm... Did you? Oh, yeah. Do you go in the dark at night when you turn the lights out? <laughs> no. Oh, but boy. I did go over to Oak Ridge and go through the Manhattan Project Museum there. They have a museum? Oh, yeah. Wow. It's terrific. I'll bet it is. Well, the guy that led the, the Manhattan Project, project was uh, Lieutenant General Leslie Groves. Mm-hmm. When I heard... I want to know who was going to play him. Because I've seen other movies where they cast... Pretty good uh, actors in that role. And the best one I've ever seen play General Groves, even though he's not shaped like Groves, who was a pretty portly guy, uh, was Paul Newman in Fat Man and Little Boy. That's, a, that's a good film. 
that is a good film. And John or Paul Newman's fantastic, and he captures the essence of Groves, who was a real a hole. If you, <laughs> I mean, and that that was the thing that apparently attracted uh, Matt Damon to the role was um, he said, uh, "quote Nobody liked him, Groves, and he didn't care," which is very true. Um, um, and he thought there was a lot of humor potential in the movie. Now that's that's a little odd. I mean, to me, casting uh, Matt Damon in the role of Leslie Groves is sort of like casting Hunter Biden, <laughs> is, is, is Joe Biden, in a, in, a, in a biography movie. Because you know, if you look at Matt Damon, he looks like kind of a snot nosed son of Leslie Groves. Uh, in the, in, the, in the picture, I don't know. I I kind of think so. He, um, now, Groves was in charge of a lot of civilians who had no respect for authority and scoffed at the rules outside of the natural universe. So, um, you know, having, the idea of, of doing that part was really appealing to, to Matt Damon. Now, the Washington Examiner, on the other hand, uh, calls Oppenheimer, quote, a ponderous, turgid mess. What? And says it's three uh, hours, it's three wasted hours of viewing. Now I was like, "Wow, I got to read this." It says the movie is ethically confused at best. It's a typical leftist interpretation of history, and uh, says which says that the U.S. is a little better than the rest of the the, uh, the bad world, and that the format of the the movie is dizzying. That was the word they used because it jumps back and forth in time. Which that was my one of my problems with Dunkirk was the way the format of the movie. Um, I don't know if, if 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 anybody remembers Dunkirk, they had this thing where they would go the pier or the airfield or whatever you know. They would go from one setting to the other, but then the, you would lose continuity of the story in the process of doing. It. I did anyway. So it's and back I, and forth in and time. Back and forth in time, and it, apparently it's very confusing. And um, <clears throat> it's uh, the, according to the Examiner, Nolan sets up a fictional. Uh, uh, a line at the end of the movie, uh, supposedly uttered by Oppenheimer to Albert Einstein, that drives home the downbeat message of the film. Now, I don't know what that is, and I'm dying to, to find out what, what he says. Well, we'll have to find out. But apparently it, it never it was never said. Historically, it never happened. But um, he said that it makes the entire message of the movie a damnable lie. That was the author of the, the piece. In the, that the thing about Washington. blood on his hands or something with, with- supposedly Oppenheimer said well he talked about you know I am the you know I am become death the destroyer of worlds but that he didn't say that to to, to Einstein he said that to like a TV camera so I I'm interested in seeing it. I'm still gonna yeah. see the movie you can Barbie Heimer you're gonna see Barbie first and see no it. that's what that's what people are doing yeah right and when apparently it's it's uh ticking off the Japanese Apparently they they think that you're what you, when you keep on talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer, it trivializes the whole oh. Hiroshima thing. So yeah, well. I can understand why they're a little touchy, but you know they kind of started the war too. So yeah, a little bit. And and as a consolation prize, take a look around the parking lots and look at all the Hondas and uh, Azusus right. and Nissans yeah, and, and so forth. All right, we'll pick up two more here on Valor Radio coming up next on the WYSL stations. I can give you what you want, but you got to go home with me. I forgot some good old love, and then I got some in store. When I get through throwing it on you, you got to come back for more. Boys and things will come by the dozen. That ain't nothing but drugs go loving. Pretty little thing, let me light your count, cause mama, I'm sure hard to hell and I, yes, around. 
your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award, MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all, and our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. Join Abate Monroe County, American bikers aimed toward education and help adult bikers ride free and safe. Check out our meetings on the third Friday monthly at Wise Guys Diner and Catering, 2811 Dewey Avenue. Join Abate for less than 50 cents a week. Google Abate Monroe County on the web. Hey, how about becoming a member of the National Warplane Museum in Geneseo, New York? Help us preserve history. Plus, you get some pretty fancy benefits. Visit us online, nationalwarplanemuseum.com. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. Back in here with Valor Radio, Paul Simonelli not feeling so great, but uh, we are soldiering on, as you might say. Captain Steve Amato, Bob Savage along with you. Thanks so much for joining us. Here's an item that came to us from our good friend Roger uh, on Honey Hill. The family of a female Marine who was killed during the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, amen, uh, in 2021, forced to pay $60,000 to have her body flown from California to Arlington to be buried. Nicole G., she was 23, one of 13 service members who were killed during a suicide blast at the Kabul airport in 2021 per Daily Mail. There were also 170 Afghans reportedly killed in the attack that ISIS took responsibility for, being the class act that they are. Uh, the attack took place on August 26th during an evacuation attempt near the U.S. Embassy. Corey Mills, a Republican lawmaker and Army veteran, reportedly met with the families of the 13 service members lost in the attack. He was told one of the families was forced to pay $60,000 to have the body of a loved one moved to be buried. Honoring Our Fallen, which is a nonprofit that helps families of fallen American service members, covered the cost of having G's body transported thank god her body was initially transported to her hometown of roseville california for a ceremony but her family was then told they were financially responsible for moving her body to arlington which would be her final resting place mill's office noted that the defense department was allowed to decline to pay for the transportation of g's body due to last year's change to the national defense authorization act that according to fox news the change notes that the Secretary of Defense may provide a fallen soldier's family, quote, a commercial air travel use waiver 
for the transportation of deceased remains of a military member who dies inside a theater of combat operations. Mills said, quote, Typically, our fallen heroes are flown back home for a solemn service, then laid to final rest at Arlington with the utmost respect and honor. It's an egregious injustice that grieving families were burdened to shoulder the financial strain of honoring their loved ones. That is just a horrible story. Well, and it's also an indication of who's in charge. I don't know how that people live with themselves if they put somebody through something like that. I just, it's just, just awful. I mean, it's just, it's terrible that, you know, it's bad enough that, you know, we, in our culture, we have to rely on, you know, Frank Siller and the uh, Tunnel of the Towers to build homes for the people, uh, who, the families of the fallen and, and the disabled. Uh, it's bad enough that we have to rely on them and, and not the government to do stuff like that. But then when they gun deck something like this, yeah, not good. No. Not good. But they put the families through, and uh, I, I'm just embarrassed for them. I wish... I wish I could say I'm sorry to him. This is the kind of thing that Donald Trump would have picked up a phone and got that fixed. Oh in yeah, absolutely. Thirty seconds. It would never occur to somebody like Joe Biden to pick up the phone and call him. No, and he's supposed to be the consummate politician. So, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. Well, this is this is in the, in the category of good news, bad news uh, stories. I'm going to give you the bad news first. All right. These are Navy stories. Okay. I'm. You know, near and dear to my heart, and and uh, you know, Paul Paul can represent the army pretty well. So I want when I get the, the the microphone, a lot of times I'm I'm saving up stories about the Navy. In this case, this is an embarrassment, and I just I just got this a couple of days ago. Uh, after a two year, two hundred million dollar maintenance period and overhaul, the amphib assault ship USS Boxer was unable to put to sea. On the 21st of July. The reason, quote, ongoing maintenance issues, unquote. Boxer received upgrades and modifications to accommodate the newest generation of fighter, which, which is good. I mean, it's an older ship, and they wanted to m- make it current for the, uh, for the uh, upcoming uh, um, uh, airframe modification. No specifics were offered about why it couldn't sail. They cited operational security, which is, you know, come on. Catch-all. Yeah, and it's just everybody knows what the deal is. But a spokesman indicated that the ship was in need of additional maintenance before it could get underway. (laughs) That goes without saying. Boxer had already received a new flight deck capable of supporting the F-35B Lightning II, which is the the, the new generation strike fighter. So the the ship's got to be modified to accommodate that that platform. Yeah, the deck deck had to be uh, redone entirely, which is... You know, you know, some of the old ships in the back in the day were had, had wooden flight decks, and they had to put steel flight decks on them, especially when they wanted to put like Harriers on on deck, which generated a lot of heat. And and but in this case, the F thirty five needed that new flight deck, and it cost a lot of money to do it. Um, they also had to make changes to the hull, repairs to the hull, and other shipboard improvements, quote unquote. The, the, again, this is not a new ship; it went into service almost thirty years ago. The ship briefly put to sea back in June of last year, but it was supposed to go through sea trials after the refit. But those sea trials have yet to take place. Boxer was the subject of some controversy in 2016 uh, in which crew members were ordered to dump fuel overboard. And in the process, they contaminated the crew's drinking water and sickened uh, many members of the crew. Why have there been those sea trials? Good question. Maybe because they know they'll fail. 
Well, I mean, uh, well, sometimes they they, they 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 just to make a point, they'll go ahead and let them fail seat trials. But this military, I I can't predict what they're going to do. Maybe they just want to. They're just risk averse, or they want to avoid bad press. Oh my gosh! Well, if that's the, the case, left, the left in this country is absolutely everywhere you turn. They're dismantling meritocracy. Absolutely, that's a that's and, a very good way of looking at it. And, and that's and, and the military, and, of course, and, is one of the they've they've destroyed education. They've trashed you know uh, mm-hmm. popular culture, and now they're going after the military. Well, and, and, and uh, this dovetails with the story that we talked about a few weeks ago uh, about the Marine Corps being unable to uh, meet their tasking requirements last year about you know the inability to answer the proverbial. 911 call. Mm-hmm. Um, we had talked about what was the reason for that again? No amphib ships. And this does not help matters. Okay, so we're, we're, we're going down that same road again. It's uh, just a rehash of things we've already experienced. So, like the ship that the burned in San Diego and the, the, oh, that was, yeah, the, the Bonham Richard. Right. That right, was, right, right. yeah, and we're, they're still not recovered from that either. I mean, they're still feeling the effects of that. That's a, a major loss. I mean, that, that ship is gone. Meanwhile, the USN has a big uh, uh, PR splash uh, available with the arrival in port of the USS Gerald R. Ford uh, on its first overseas deployment to Greece. Now, the Ford is the newest uh, aircraft carrier in the Navy and the biggest. Uh, it, it dropped anchor in a place called Falero Bay, Athens, near the port of Piraeus, Greece. Um, uh, I had never heard of Falero Bay. So that's why when I saw it, I was like, where the heck is that? Ford was uh, en route to Suda Bay, Crete, by way of the Adriatic, and the cruise to Greece was intended to, quote, enhance the strong partnership between the U.S. and Greece. Uh, I wasn't really aware that we had a strong partnership, but I'm glad to hear that. Greece Pri- has a navy? They do. They actually the Hellenic Navy. Prior to the port visit, Ford actually conducted a series of exercises with the Hellenic Navy. Oh, God bless him. Yeah. Um, uh, you know who was, uh, I think, part of that Navy was um, Prince Philip. Really? He, he's a, yeah, he's got, he had Greek uh, blood in him. Oh, so, yeah. Hmm. Um, Gerald Ford, the carrier, is based out of Norfolk and is the largest warship ever built. Elite ship in her class. Um, 100,000 tons of displacement. Uh, she's taken 18 years to build. Think about that. She the, the construction began 11 August 2005. So that's a long time. Uh, she's the numerical replacement for USS Enterprise, CVN-65, which served 51 years as a nuclear aircraft carrier. She, she cost $12.8 billion dollars. To, uh, to put in the fleet. She's 1,092 feet long, 134 feet abeam, and she has, uh, she's 250 feet high, which is 25 decks. Whoa. It's enormous. I mean, I looked at the pictures of this thing, and it's just, if you ever see it, it's pretty impressive. So that was the good news, uh, bad news uh, Navy story of the, of the week. Well, thanks. We do need good news every once in a while when yeah, it comes when it, when it comes to uh, military in this country. Yeah, yeah. we just got to make sure they don't uh, dump fuel and into the water, <laughs> into the drinking water. Oops. We oh, had we had that problem on my, my, my ship. We had uh, a lot of carryover in the in the uh, drinking water. Carryover from yeah. where? 
Well, we had we, we had something called JP five jet uh, jet propulsion. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot, a lot of JP in the water. In fact, people used to make a joke out of. They say, "Hey, come here," and they 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 push the the button on the scuttle on the uh, the drinking fountain, and they light it with the with a with a with a lighter. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. You can actually light the water. Nice. And then nice. It's like the old days uh, when the uh, when the Cuyahoga River caught fire in uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in Cleveland. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah, so supposedly that happened. I, do, I don't know if that's apocryphal or not, but uh, in any case, you are listening to Valor Radio uh, with Colonel Paul Simonelli, conspicuous by his absence. Uh, he hopefully will be back next week feeling better. Captain Steve Amano here, and uh, we are holding fort at WYSL 92.1 FM, 95.5 FM West, AM 1040. 20,000 watts and 27,000 watts currently under construction. Oh, like this. Oh, they're shipping. Oh, don't you hear me? Yes, we're out there having fun in the warm California sun. The girls are frisky and the old Frisco. A pretty little miss wherever you go. They walk. From Niagara Falls to the Adirondacks and from Canada to Pennsylvania, you're listening to Valor Radio. Welcome on in here for another episode of Valor Radio. Does this sound vaguely familiar to you by any chance? <laughs> yeah, Spencer, Spencer Davis group. Mm, yeah, but it's not. I know the And this came out in 1966, a few months before the Spencer Davis group. No. Did it really? But check it out. What a ripoff. <laughs> Kid, Steve Winwood. Well, uh, and not only that, uh, Steve Winwood actually made some public comment to the effect that, boy, you know, we, we really owe a debt of gratitude to Homer Banks, who did that. It's called A Lot of Love, as opposed to Give Me Some Lovin'. <laughs> <laughs> it came out months that's before. That's funny. Isn't that hilarious? Oh, um, well, at least you did acknowledge him. Yeah. I guess that took the, the, the wind out of their sails, huh? Well, I guess, to use a nautical term, yes, I, I guess. <laughs> but but no, uh, no lawsuit, apparently. Isn't that funny? Well, all right. Anyway. Oh, that's good. Good to know. Fun music history. Well, Paul know, Simonelli will be back next week. We hope he's uh, not feeling so great. Absolutely. Uh, thinks he's got uh, COVID. I think it's probably a hangover. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's just because I know Paul. I'm not going to say anything. Okay. Sorry. Well, you know, we have a lot of politics going on right now, and none of it good. Uh, there's a lot of grief right now being directed at one particular politician uh, from Alabama. Oh. Tommy Tuberville is a senator right. from the right. state of Alabama. And he's being assaulted in the press over this 2024 Defense Authorization Act um, because— he took issue with the fact that DOD uh, put the abortion TDY in the in the bill, so you can you can go out of state and get your abortion, and uh, the the USG will pay your freight and your uh, you know you, you you get all your expenses paid. And Tuberville's like, no can do. I'm not going to vote for this thing. Just take it out, and I'll vote for it. But they won't take it out, so he's not voting for it. And as a result, he's holding up everybody's promotion right now. And that's why he's public enemy number one. Well, 
Three Republicans quietly voted with the Democrats to take out a provision that would have reinstated those roughly 9,000 service members who were discharged for refusing the COVID jab. Now that we mentioned COVID, the provision would also have changed their release status to honorable discharge because a lot of these guys were admin discharged. And I don't know, maybe some of them were bad kind of, I don't know. But 9,000 of them, and you know, we need those guys back. They could use those people right now. Yeah, no no um, kidding. The vote ended up 53 to 46, and the three Republicans who stabbed these service members in the back yes. are... Don't, don't, don't tell me. Let me guess. Yeah, I want you to guess. Mitt Romney. Yes. Of course. Yes. Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah. Yes. Okay, anyone want to take another guess at one of the others? Uh, it wasn't Lindsey Graham, was it? Uh, female. Try female. Female, female, female. Uh, oh, uh, Lisa Murkowski. Close. Susan Collins. Well, of course. Susan Collins, Republican from Maine. And one of my favorite people who I, I like to throw the finger at every chance I get, <laughs> Bill Cassidy, Republican from Louisiana, yeah, who's a real worst. a real rhino. Okay. Um, that, that, that was that story. So I thought I'd, I'd mention that. Um, by the way, the, re, um, the Biden administration has... Uh, selected Colorado Springs, Colorado, as the permanent home for the U.S. Space Command headquarters. Well, yes, of course he did because Trump put it in Alabama, and we can't have that. We can't have that, can we? No. No. Um, Anything that Trump does, you know, irrespective of merit, uh, it has to be reversed. Well, you know, it's too bad because um, Huntsville, Alabama wanted it. The, the command there. And Huntsville, Alabama is considered uh, Rocket City, USA. Um, we even had a, a, a DIA, uh, had a, a, I think, uh, had a uh, Alabama, I, can't, I think it was MISIC, was, uh, I want to say it was in Alabama, Huntsville. Um, they had a component down there that did uh, um, missile intelligence. But um, uh, uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's uh, a nice uh, liberal bastion. And it will stay that way, apparently. So, um, I, we had a feeling that it was going to happen. Well, Colorado, of, of course, is California East because after after they trashed their own state, all these liberal Californians all moved to Colorado. There you go. Well, um, I'm going to set up the next uh, the next piece. Uh, there's a lesson in that for Florida, by the way. Just well, to put, put large signs up at the state border. You know, Democrats not welcome. <laughs> I, hey, listen. I mean, it worked for. Cuomo. I mean, Cuomo was ushering Republicans That's and conservatives right. out of New York State by the hundreds oh, of thousands. Think of how many people we lost yeah. just during that period. But I'm not, not sure that we're losing any less now. I mean, they, I heard the numbers were uh, in, in the last uh, in the past year. I think 650,000 New Yorkers and Californians have have left yeah. the state. I mean, well, we used to have 42 um, members of the House here. In New York State. And how many do we have now? 26, I think. Do we really? Yeah. Oh, That's how bad it's gotten. Yeah. Isn't that awful? Well, we're in big trouble, um, and uh, there goes our tax base, you know. I mean, uh, they can only, um, you know, they, they can only beat a dead horse so much. And in our, in our situation, they just keep on taxing the same people. Well, and this is, and you know, the, the really perverse thing about this is the Democrats and the left, but I repeat myself, don't care about the tax base because no, the, way, the way that they look at it, and I learned this lesson from the late Bill Nojay because he uh, he was tasked with going to Detroit to rebuild the transit system there, which was a 
a, a real totalitarian horror show. This is back uh, like about 2007, 2008. And he and the colonel, as a matter of fact, worked together on that project. They would commute across southern Ontario oh, wow. to go to work, and they'd spend the week in uh, Detroit working with the Detroit transit system. And at one point... All they uh, had was a people mover, right? They had that people mover thing or whatever? Uh, I don't know any specifics about how it worked. I, I know that it didn't work. Uh, that the, uh, the the transit system, the bus company, had about 1,200 oh. employees, and they, they needed 600. Oh. So uh, apparently, uh, no, no Jay uh, called a meeting with the transit workers union and the head came up and talked to him to try to negotiate some kind of a deal uh-huh. and got nowhere. Uh, and no Jay remonstrated with the guy and said, look, you know, this, the way this contract is, we're going to bankrupt the city. And the union said, not our problem. <laughs> and their, their, their feeling, <laughs> no. their feeling was that, you know, if the, if the state gets into financial dire straits or the city they'll just look to the barack obama administration to to bail them out and to fix it which is ultimately what happened and that's what i guarantee you that's what the thinking is uh, in albany is that you know when we've run out of tax base and we desperately need money what we'll do is we'll look to everybody in all the other states to help us pay our bills hey did you see where in illinois uh, jb pritzker the the uh, governor has just authorized uh, non-citizens to become law enforcement. Isn't that a great idea? I think that's terrific. A lot of people like that idea. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? First of all, how can they enforce the laws of the United States when they're not even citizens? You know, I was thinking about how they logically justify it, but they don't. There's never any logic to any of that. No, it's all about it's all it's all about show. It's it's all it's all imagery and. It's it's like this ridiculous pot thing in New York State, oh. legalized pot. So now we've got we've got Albany. You know, I heard that on the radio doing, this morning. Doing what it does best, raiding its own citizens and arresting them and fining them. That's because, what they because love. Because they're selling pot better than they can. Right. <laughs> I guess. And now they're selling, well, they're selling pots to uh, underage uh, minors, apparently. Well, you got to look at, out at Nevada and you look at the Mustang Ranch. I mean... The, the government out there couldn't even run a whorehouse. <laughs> and if, if you can't sell pot and make a profit, I that know. tells you everything you need to know about uh, government and how it functions in the marketplace. That's a very good point. Yeah, well, it, uh, I just heard that on radio coming in today, and I just I, I had a laugh. I mean, it's pretty funny when you think that, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, they're, 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 now they're, they're threatening to fine the illegal operators of these uh, pot shops. Millions of dollars. I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Now, good, good luck collecting that. Yeah. Good luck collecting that money. Yeah. There you go. So I'm going to set this one up for the the next one. Uh, we're going to play a little bit of music coming in uh, for the next segment. Uh, this is the theme uh, from Destination Tokyo, which was a 1943 Warner Brothers film. Music by Franz Waxman, directed by Delmer Daves, starring Cary Grant. John Garfield, Dane Clark. What year was this? 1943. Okay. And I I thought this was kind of funny. One of the stars of the film who's prominently mentioned in the credits is Faye Emerson. Do you know anything about Faye Emerson? Um, Didn't she do the denture commercial? You know, she might have. She was a very important person in the 50s, apparently. But in the 40s, her claim to fame was she was married to FDR's son, Elliot. 
Oh, wow. So she had clout in the industry just because of proximity to the White House. But in this movie, she's literally in the film for maybe three seconds. <laughs> and she gets screen credit. And she gets screen credit. She doesn't have... It's not like they took out a major part that she had, like a scene or anything. She's only got one scene in the movie. At the, in, in the last 30 seconds of the movie, you see her for about three seconds. That's it. Well, you know, you got to kiss up to the administration. There you go. Oh, uh, I wanted to also mention that um, rest in peace, Pee Wee Herman. Yes. Did you hear that story? Yes, yes. Paul uh, dead, dead at 70 of cancer. So, And a very quiet and, uh, uh, and continuing battle with cancer for some time. Right. Yeah, well. That, that's it. I just wanted to make sure I threw that in there. Absolutely. All right, we'll be back with more here on Valor Radio with uh, Captain Steve Amato in the air chair. We'll be back on WYSL. Once I believed that when love Your go-to for standard of specialized business insurance coverage. MGM Associates of Rochester, now serving the region and beyond in New York. Since 1984, MGM has provided leading coverage from a wide range of carriers. Not only home, condo, boat, motorcycle, and auto, but also specialized policies for all types of businesses, including nonprofits and law firms, livery insurance, property insurance, and bonds for all needs. MGM Associates of Rochester provides auto, workers' comp, health care, and liability coverage. Choose from virtual appointments or good old in-office, in-person consults by appointment at our Penfield office. Five-time consecutive winner of the National Best Practices Award. MGM is proud to support veterans groups. For your personal business, home, or professional insurance needs, meet the experienced staff at MGM Associates. Locally and proudly owned at 1745 Penfield Road in Penfield, 381-7008 or mgminsure.com. An associate of Finger Lakes Fire and Casualty, Route 227, Trumansburg, New York. The colors are red for valor, white for innocence, and blue for justice. Our nation's flag proclaims liberty for all. And our military service members continue to fight for the right to live in freedom. Honor their service and sacrifice with an American-made flag from the Stars and Stripes Flag Store. Visit eflagstore.com to shop now. All proceeds support Veterans Outreach Center and local veterans. As a veteran of the United States military, I can finally get the opportunity to enjoy special events, things that we couldn't afford, thanks to Vetix. Every empty seat at a concert, a game, or a play is a missed opportunity to say thanks to a veteran and service member. We can give our veterans a special event where they, too, can create their own cherished memories. Visit VetTix.org. Find out how you can make a difference in a veteran's life. You're listening to Valor Radio with Colonel Paul Simonelli. So during the uh, break, we're scrolling through to figure out what song to come back with. And uh, we landed on this. uh, Steve said, Harlem Nocturne, what's that sound like? You haven't heard this? No. Oh, my gosh, this is classic. 
it all instrumental? Yeah, it's instrumental. So. What year? Uh, I want to say late 50s, 59. Yeah, it sounds like Peter Gunn music or something. Yeah, yeah it's in that era. And uh, we, were just, we were just talking about how one morning, for some reason, uh, Jim Quinn, our morning guy, we got talking about this song, and he he had his Selmer sax in the uh, in the studio and played that that lead <laughs> from the song live over the air. Way to go, Jim! Yeah. Well, uh, you know we had a problem. Uh, I think it was last year with uh, in Buffalo. Uh, there's a naval park, and it's a nice park. There's a there's a USS Croker, which is a uh, um, submarine, diesel submarine, and the uh, Little Rock is a cruiser, uh, mostly post World War II, um, but the 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 probably the, the the centerpiece of the museum park is USS uh, the Sullivans DD five thirty seven, which is named for the five Sullivan brothers from uh, Waterloo, Iowa, who were killed in World War II. Five brothers from one family. Um, they named a ship after them and uh, commissioned it. Uh, and I think it was 1943, uh, and it's a beautiful ship. And uh, and they we were and lucky it's a, enough. A destroyer. It's a destroyer, and it had a distinguished war record. And it came back after the war and intact. And for how, for some reason, Buffalo, New York, ended up getting it, which is an amazing thing because it's just a beautiful ship. Inland port. That's so. That's a good thing. That's right. And um, but they they um, they didn't have like a coffer dam f- for it. They they it's it's in the water, and in Buffalo, you know, with the elements, it's tough because you know you get ice fr- freezing and, and thawing out, and and uh, the hull takes a real beating in, under those conditions. And it is made of steel. Yeah, we and, and it is out. a steel fr- structure, and it's eighty years old. So it's it's um it's got some problems. Well, last year it all came to a head when. Uh, somebody opened up a hole in the side in, uh, or a, a, a gasket or seam, and water came in and flooded the ship considerably uh, uh, down at the uh, at the stern. It had a see, na- nasty list on it. it. It was. It was. I just looked at the pictures last night. It was ugly. Um, they had in some sections of the ship they had like up to three feet of water mm-hmm. in in the compartment. So um, they pumped it out, and it looks terrific now from the outside. But they still had the same problem. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. So the plan was to, uh, uh, from what I understand, to take it to uh, – do you know where Port Coburn is? I think that's up in yes, Canada. it is. It is, okay. They're going to take it up to the uh, the closest uh, dry dock facility up in Canada and spend, it up, I think, three months up there in dry dock and, and try and fix the – the 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 uh, defect in in the, the hull to ca- try and reinforce it. So uh, I had read that there are several areas of of severe corrosion in the hull. Bad hull corrosion. That, that's the re- problem. Need to be replaced. They said they said that there's some sections of the ship where the the um, the thickness of the skin is like an eggshell. That's how yeah. thin it is. The metal. So they are really concerned about getting it there. Without... Oxi- oxidation is not your friend. No, it is not. And uh, they don't want to be towing it there and all of a sudden start having it taken on water. That would be a problem. Even though it's only, I don't know, I think it's 12 miles or something. I can't remember how long they said it was to get it there or distance-wise. We don't need to have it sink. No. Um, so what they're going to do this year is they're going to they're gonna winterize the ship to prepare it for the Buffalo winter that's coming. Okay, and then they're going to worry about maybe next year doing, in 2024, 
doing the um, the repairs and dry dock. Do we know is there a fundraiser for this? There is. Okay, they're gonna. They, and that's a good point because they said that they're very uh, have been very aggressively raising money for it, but it's going to cost from ten to twelve million dollars. Not surprised. Yeah, I I was surprised at how much it was going to cost, but because um, if you look go on board the ship before I was on before. Uh, they had the problem, and it was in such good material condition. I I never really thought about what was below the water line. So, um, well, that's, do, that's where all the trouble happens, right? Yeah, it <laughs> I mean, is. Unfortunately, speaking. yeah. Um, I mean, if it was in a, a major shipyard, a navy shipyard, they would do all kinds of stuff to, to keep it from you know. And you know, when they when they um, button up ships for the you know the um, um, mothball fleet, they have all kinds of you know. You know, dehumidifiers and stuff. They put, you know, they they cover things up with these domes and and they basically keep them dry. And but but they they don't have any of that stuff. In Tell Buffalo. us about the mothball fleet. What is that? The mothball fleet. Um, I don't know that we have much of a mothball fleet anymore. But I know we we used to have a major mothball fleet in uh, San San Francisco, and uh, we have one in J- James River, Virginia, which I think that's one of the bigger ones, uh, and. Um, and I'm trying to think of some of the other places we had them. But uh, that was where we kept uh, ships that were um, decommissioned, but they were still serviceable. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if they, in time of conflict or an emergency, we could uh, you know, press some of them back into service. But the, the, the thing is, the condition of the ship is critical. You have to be able to, you know, uh, I mean, some of those ships, uh, you know, I remember flying over Philadelphia and I used to fly over the old uh, Shangri-La, which was a, a aircraft carrier, and it had grass growing on the deck. You used to fly over the top of it, and you're like, "Wow, look at that!" It's really got. But they kept the Shangri-La around for a reason. The reason was that they used parts off a of Shangri-La for the battleships that they brought out in the '80s. So that was why hmm. they kept they kept it around. But uh, most of the Kalinan uh, Bay, I think, is the place in. California, where they used to, you remember uh, Dirty Harry mm-hmm. uh, and the yep. Magnum Force, where they had that scene at the end where uh, you know uh, Dirty Harry's dr- driving a, a motorcycle on the deck of an aircraft carrier. That's that's in that in that um, uh, mothball fleet uh, area okay. right there. So they could be pressed into service if need be with some minimal. Well, amount of it, readiness. maybe not minimal anymore, yeah. but uh, depending on how long they've been. I mean, we used to have he keep carriers, and uh, I mean old uh, Essex class carriers like the Hancock, you know the 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 Bennington, all those those old Vietnam era carriers that came out of service in the seventies. They 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 had them all sitting there, and they were there were a lot of ships up there at one time. Now there's not. They they've towed a lot of them away. A lot of them are literally sold to companies, that, uh, the steel companies, to make razor blades. So they have done that in the past. To so make, they're scrapped. They scrap them. Yeah, absolutely. The Japanese buy a lot of our ships up. And yeah, we talked about the how they've the steel how they're retrieving the Chinese are retrieving Japanese warships. Yeah, from the, uh, well, that's another story entirely. But um, what they're planning on doing with the winterization process is they're going to replace mooring lines with a more flexible back synthetic. Back to the Sullivans now. Yeah, the Sullivan, Sullivans, yeah. Um, they're strengthening some internal um, bulkheads on the ship uh, because they got to do that, and um, the hatches and watertight doors. A lot of seals are, are, are gone on the ship, and apparently uh, they want to replace all the gaskets on the ship, which the director of the park uh, says um, – is going to make it basically you could literally go back to sea with the thing uh, uh, as far as watertight integrity. So we'll see if that happens. 
Um, they're also going to impl- improve electrical systems to operate a bubbler system to prevent ice from forming around the hull, which mm-hmm. is good. A lot of people do that with their private boats. That's exactly it. Um, in some places, the, the, like I said, the, the hull is as thin as an eggshell. Um, I just want to talk about a little bit about um, who, who was named after. The Sullivan brothers were uh, five brothers from Waterloo, Iowa. Um, there was uh, Joseph Eugene was 24. He was a seaman second class. Francis Henry was 26, was a coxswain. George Thomas was a, a 27-year-old gunner's mate second class. Madison Abel, or Matt, was 23, was a seaman second class. And Albert Leo, 20 years old, was a seaman second class. And they had a sister named Genevieve who survived as a wave, uh, serving in the U.S. Navy. Awesome. What an incredible story. And they, were, they were all killed in the um, uh, USS Juno, 13 November, 42, uh, in the Battle for Guadalcanal. All right. Steve Amano, Captain, thank you so much for being our host this week. Oh, my pleasure. And uh, Paul will be back to join us again next week along with you. Thanks for listening to Valor Radio on the WYSL stations. I don't do it for the glory. I just do it anyway. Providing for our futures, my responsibility. Yeah, I'm real good on.